0: I am sure that the big change for me was when I was 12. I needed to know that it was me and not just the pressure of being, you know, in a Christian home. But I remember feeling the conviction uh, for sin. And who knows what that could have possibly been as a 12-year-old. But um, realizing that I, I needed Jesus for myself, I couldn't ride on um, my parents' faith,
1: Hey, and welcome to Zero Compromise, helping you stand for truth in a world that falls for lies. I'm Patricia Angler here at the Hebron Design Studio for Answers in Genesis with Jessica Jorski, aka JJ. Hello. And Rocket Rob Webb. What's
2: up, guys?
3: And we have another amazing story going on today. So what's happening, JJ? We have the privilege of talking with Doug Henderson. He is a supervising art director here for the Ministry of Answers and Genesis. We have some fantastic designers here and they do some amazing work. So we're really looking forward to the conversation.
2: Let's go ahead and start off a little bit, talk about who you are and all the awesome things you do for us at the ministry?
0: I'm often asked what my job is, and I get to supervise a team of incredible artists. I myself am an artist, but a lot of times I get more credit than I feel like I should because there are so many amazing artists that are actually doing the things that I would love to be sitting down and doing myself, but I totally trust that I can have this person like Jesse is an amazing artist who's D- does the lion's share of mold making for example and sculpting and and uh, and so uh, anyway all of these team members are people that I get to work with every day and my main thing is just making sure that we are accomplishing what the designers like Travis or Alan have uh, set before us and I help figure out how we're going to do it and then um, make adjustments as we go uh, to make sure that we hit deadlines and um, I think that uh, occasionally whenever I'm able to, I sit down and actually do some artwork myself.
1: There you go. And you guys do like all the sculptures and the models for the exhibits mm-hmm. and um, paintings for illustrations for the museum and all that kind of thing, right?
0: Yes. Now, um, the you're in the space where all of that's created. Um, we have the fabrication department. Content development is here as well. Um, also our graphic design department. And then... Um, As far as, uh, usually what I'm doing is gonna be more like, if you go into an exhibit, um, like the Fearfully and Wonderfully Made just jumps to mind because we did it so recently. Um, I was in charge of making sure that the babies were beautiful and uh, worked. Also, I helped uh, figure out the special effects of the Pepper's Ghost and how that would work, but that was a big team. Uh, Kudos to Zach and Haley for all the time you guys spent getting everything lined up on that. And then also overseeing and then getting to work on a little bit on the uh, the giant baby for the, the placenta model um and again you know jesse and johnny and i'm gonna forget somebody but nate and uh, uh, the artists who actually did the the work um, i got to paint that and then avery and amber did all the hair work on it we estimate about 150,000 hairs are punched into that head yeah, so if you guys cool. are
3: subscribed to Answers TV, we actually have a behind the scenes okay. um, uh, episode where we yeah, right. went and looked at the design of that specific exhibit. So that's a really cool episode to check it out was. on Answers TV.
1: It was so moving. People were actually crying during the mm-hmm. episode just like around me in the staff meeting because mm-hmm. it's just such a beautiful and meaningful pro-life exhibit. So yeah, that's awesome to, to see how artists can have such a powerful role in even changing people's minds about pro-life topics and God can use whatever kind of talent he's given you. So we're kind of curious to hear your backstory of how God did bring you as an artist to the ministry, but first of all, you haven't always been part of the ministry, so what were you doing before?
0: Well, okay, so it's a long story. Um, My wife and I, Kathy, uh, and I met in Pittsburgh um, when I, pretty early in my career, after I graduated from Kentucky Christian College. um, I had a degree in Bible, um, emphasis in education, and a special effects portfolio. The Lord had made it possible for me to teach myself uh, before there was an internet, how to do special effects makeup. And I thought I was going to go to the Art Institute, but um, God had different plans. I went there for an open house, and they ended up hiring me as a teacher instead. And so that was supposed to be for three months, and that turned into 15 years. Wow. And so at NBC, where my wife Kathy was um, a gra- graphic designer, on-air graphics, uh, designed their magazines and did photo shoots and all sorts of stuff, neither of us was supposed to be there that night. Um, but I was invited to do makeup on a TV show. She was asked to be one of the models and I saw her and I was like, whoa, I want to do her makeup. So I (laughs) set it up to do her makeup. And, uh, and then, um, we met, um, there and then started doing some stuff professionally and then dated and then got married about a year and a half later and put our heads together. She's a, a storyteller and graphic designer, had worked in film and television for a while and uh, so then we started our own company eventually we met ken in 1998 and started working for answers in genesis in 1999 as contractors we worked as contractors until 2006 um all the while doing all sorts of um film and tv projects and then um in 2006 ken had uh sort of given us a little guilt trip about not working full-time to help him get the museum open so we started working full-time just for a year, just to get the museum open, and here I am uh, in 2023, uh, still still here, and loving it. Love coming to work every day. Wow, yeah, so, so cool. if my math
2: is right, you've been here 25 years? Uh, that... Known
0: Ken known for 25, for 25 years. years. So 24 years we've done, uh, I've worked, my wife and I worked with, with Answers in Genesis, but since 2006. It's been full time. Right, Even so like, uh,
3: rocket scientists get math wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: it's
2: funny. The higher I went in math class, my mental math skills just went down. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you remember that from your calculus days, right? Your uh, right calculus days, <laughs> in like calculus days. Yeah. You, you did work but, on uh, some
1: some cool movies though, right? Um, I I think I heard. Did you have a role in like Jurassic Park or some of those <laughs> other projects?
0: Oh yeah, um, I do get credit for that a lot because there's another Doug Henderson in the industry. And I think that's maybe how I got hired here. They yeah, mistook they me for the, the other Doug the Henderson. Other guy. Um, but no, my name is in the credits, but I didn't work on that film. Um, I've never worked on any large motion pictures. Um, I think it does get a little bit confusing because of that. But then also, I have so many students over the years who've gone on to work on all the major blockbusters so if you see a movie that's got special effects makeup or animatronics in it it's very likely that one of my students over that 15 years at the art institute mm. uh did work on it but i don't take credit for their success um any more than i would take credit or blame for those who didn't make it so um i'm i have a lot of former students who if they had a, if they were offering a class i would love to take it because they've just gone above and beyond where i'm at so yeah that. That's cool. It's very commonly asked, though. A lot of people ask me that.
3: Can you share a little bit more about your testimony? Were you a believer in Christ prior to coming to Answers in Genesis, and what did that look like?
0: Yes. Um, My wonderful parents, Ken and Carol Henderson, were missionaries to the United States um, back in the late 60s. I think it was um, late 60s was when he uh, started, my dad started. He would speak in, um, believe it or not, in public schools, um, he would do presentations there, talk about creation versus evolution. And, um, and he was welcomed there and he, he also, uh, sang songs and was a, a bit of a comedian as well. So those, th- those things kind of got him invited there. Eventually that stopped, but, um, Teen Mission USA is the name of the ministry. Um, and, uh, they started mission journeys and started doing, um, short-term mission trips all over the world. And, um. So growing up in a Christian home, a strong Christian home, um I I am sure that the big change for me was when I was 12. I needed to know that it was me and not just the pressure of being, you know, raised in a Christian home, but I remember feeling the conviction uh for sin, and who knows what that could have possibly been as a 12-year-old, but um realizing that I, I needed Jesus for myself. I couldn't ride on um, my parents' faith. And so I went forward, uh, accepted the Lord and was baptized in, um, at, at age 12, whatever year that would have been. I don't know. I'm 55 this year.
2: I was going to say you look good for 55. Years. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: Oh, so great. So then uh, you came to the ministry, you're working on stuff, Francis and Genesis. Do you have a favorite either project you've worked on or story from how you've seen God use the art here for the ministry?
0: Um, so it's interesting how every project that I do, I think, oh my, this is the whole reason that the Lord got me into this. I can just feel my life directed in that into that point. So there were several times during the fearfully and wonderfully made project that I thought if I die after this, I will have completed everything that I needed to do. Um, that was, um, definitely by far the most important thing that I've done so far. Um, as far as, um, cool stories, I don't, I'll try to make this fast, but, um, everybody's really happy with the pepper's ghost effect. If you haven't seen it, you guys got to see that. But, um, the idea is that there's a three-dimensional physical model and then there's a piece of glass and then there's a monitor or another model up above and the way that they're aligned, again, thank you, Zach and Haley, the way that they're aligned, it looks like you're seeing whatever is above actually as a ghosted image inside of the baby. So it might look like the function of the, the lungs or the brain or whatever the thing is, there's 12 different models and all of them have either A static model or an animation that is aligned with them but it is a a curved case and there are four primary pieces of glass that are reflecting and the physics of this should not work and so whenever alan first told me alan green incredible designer really good friend lovely man um i just have to say that if if it had been up to me, we would not have done the Pepper's ghost effect. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I'm so happy with the way that the Lord used uh, me through that anyway. So I kept trying to figure out how to make it work, but I knew that there were physics involved that were not going to allow it to work because of the multiple reflections off of multiple pieces of glass. So every once in a while, I'd have a, a conversation with Alan and say, hey, I don't think this is going to work. And he'd say, oh, but don't you think that if we maybe—and I'm like— in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, we're building a beautiful case and beautiful models. Worst case scenario, we just turn off all the Peppers Ghost stuff, nobody'll know the difference. And then Ken talked about Pepper's Ghost on the air on on the web. And I'm like, oh no, now we really gotta make it work. <laughs> so we finally get to a point where everything is lined up, monitors are in place, babies are in place, glasses in place, and we turn everything on, and it was exactly what I thought, but ten times worse. Oh, no there were so many reflections all over the inside of it. Mm. And, and I just put my head down. Oh my goodness, Alan, I told you. And he's, and he just looked like he was going to cry. He's like, but, but don't you think that maybe if I was like, no, it's physics. And then I remembered something that I had seen just two weeks before. And it was, um, a solution. There's so much backstory to this. I don't even know where to start, but This solution had nothing to do with the problem that we were facing, but I realized that the thing that they were doing on this video that I watched would work for us, and it was to put privacy screen like you would put onto a a computer monitor so the person beside you can't see what's on your screen. Mm -hmm. And so I said, go and get, I think the Lord has already prepared all of this forever ago, go and get every variety of privacy screen you can find. And so we got them, and we put them up against everything and aligned them, and it totally worked. There are no double reflections. Well, actually, there were some that were quadruple reflections. Um, no quadruple reflections. Um, the other thing is, this is kind of hard to understand unless you're there, but originally it would have been that you can look down the row and see all of the animations at once in a way that would be very distracting and they would not look great. But this makes it so that they're all very faded or invisible until you get in front of them. And they kind of fade into existence instead of just sliding like a straight line might have been before. And so it improved upon the idea in a in a level that um, is just incredible. And so much so that other um, shops that do what we do are coming to see it in person. Because um, it's kind of... I always compare it to... Uh, Taco Bell where they take the soft shell and they wrap it around the crunchy shell. Those have been around for forever separately, but now there's this magical combination that's just better. And so that's the way it is. There's nothing new about the Pepper's Ghost. There's nothing new about the privacy screen. But as far as we know, nobody's ever used them in combination this way.
2: Yeah, and just to repeat, if you guys haven't been to the Creation Museum, you guys got to check it out. The new Fearfully Wonderfully Made exhibit, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful pro-life exhibit, I think, in the world. I and, think so. Uh, yeah, make sure you guys check it out. And then um, even, even like on a daily or weekly basis, I constantly run into guests at the Creation Museum. And one of their first things they always tell me is just the professional level of development mm-hmm. of all the exhibits mm-hmm. and the high level design. You just don't get that a lot of different places. Yeah,
0: I'm so proud to work on it um, and to be a part of it. Um, to, to, I think one of my philosophies for a really long time has been that whoever has the best artwork wins because the art so heavily influences the viewer that if there's a really silly or poor piece of art there, no matter how good all of the evidence is um, or how well it's presented, that Art is the first thing that people really grasp, and if if it looks bad, some people can see past that, but a lot of people can't. But then the the opposite is also true. Uh, you might have terrible facts and figures and have, but have this incredible piece of art. That's
2: what I was gonna say. Yeah,
0: and yeah. so you can go to you know museums where they've got all sorts of evolution stuff, and what they're saying isn't true, but you believe it because of how amazing their artwork is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that with the Lucy exhibit too. We tried to show that the the artist influences the opinion of the viewer. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah we, t- we talk a lot about in our presentations how the artwork, especially in regards to some images of animals, are an artist's interpretation that is based on a worldview. So even the artist is rooted in a worldview, and so that's important to keep in mind with those things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that this probably depends uh, based on the project that you're working on, but can you walk us through the process of concept to actual exhibit? Because I know that there's uh, the the people who walk through our exhibits see the end product, but there's so much involved through the process of it.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know if you all are tracking the newest exhibit that's not quite done yet with the um, all the ARC models. I don't know all of the ins and outs of that exhibit, so if you wanna get some more detail, I would highly recommend that you talk to Felicia Goebel. Um, She's the designer on the project, but when you see all of the jigs and rigs and things that they had to build to make some of the elements that are relatively small in space, um, but to get this certain aesthetic that she's shooting for, I feel like all of that stuff's almost as exciting as the final product. And the same thing is true with, um, like, uh, right now, Jesse and Avery and Brooklyn are working on Protoceratops and all of the behind the scenes that goes into the molding and the casting of the, the sculpting for, for however long that took. And then there'll be the, the casting and painting and then the installation. And our hope is that when you walk into an exhibit, you're not too caught up at all in the, the art for art's sake, although I know a lot of people do, that's that's fine. But that it is something that, cr- that makes it just something you take for granted, and you don't think about how did they do that. You want them to be focused on the message. And so striking a balance between having incredible artwork that could be appreciated f- for art's sake and the fact that it's not the show, it's the support for the, the topic and what we're talking about. Uh, So when we go into a, every project is a little different. So this is just like a general idea, but usually we we have a seed, a need, and say, you know, we really need something that can teach about this topic. And then we have some meetings, and we try to think of concepts, like what would be a good angle to start with? And sometimes that involves a lot of sketches going in various directions until we land on a style, land on um, maybe Maybe we decide that it's supposed to be hyper-realistic, or maybe we decide it's supposed to be more like a, you're in an art gallery, like the, the uh, starting points room, um, or super-realistic, like in the biblical authority and in the relevance room. And then we start looking at all of the various elements and, uh, you know, what is it that we're trying to teach? That's super important. We don't want to just make a bunch of stuff and then figure out what to use it for. We, everything is very purpose-built. And I'm real big on buying, you know, if there's something that you can just go buy and we're allowed to use it, I'm like, let's do that. That is just super rare. That is not something that we can generally do. I even thought when we started the Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibit, I thought, well, I've seen all those those lineups of the the, the plastic babies for, you know, use of pro-life things. And, and then I went and looked at them I'm like, no, these these are perfect for what they're for. They they can help a person understand the scope of you know, the size of the baby at this stage and they're not graphic in a way that would turn you off and you understand that they're not real. Well, we didn't want that for this exhibit. Not that we wanted people to think that there was a real baby in there, but that we wanted them to be realistic enough that you couldn't separate yourself from it and that you would accept it for being as realistic as it needed to be. And even though it's realistic, it's still actually slightly stylized. We didn't go for hyper, hyper realistic where we'd have all the texture on the skin and, um, uh, a giant baby at the phase that our big baby is at, she would actually be covered with little hairs over her whole body, little white hairs. I don't know how many millions of hairs that would have been. We didn't want to do that either way, but we also didn't want it to be like, why is that baby covered in hair? That's so weird. Um, so anyway, we, we, we start to just figure out what it is that we need to see. And then we start talking about what, what do we need to make it out of? Can people touch it? A lot of Uh, Well, everything that Kathy and I worked on before um, was stuff that would be on film. And if it was animatronic, it just had to work long enough to get the shot. Now we have to make sure that it's something that is super durable. If it can be touched, Um, we've gotten to the point where anything from like two feet down, we'd like to make it out of either steel or cement because the scooters bump into everything (laughs) as much as we can. We make everything durable And especially if it can be touched. And then as soon as it gets out of reach, then it starts to be what looks good, what's affordable, what can we do in this amount of time? And uh, do we really have to do it? And so all of that is a, there's a, there's an idea and then a design. And then we start to actually construct it, editing along the way. And eventually we, everything comes together uh, at the install. And it's almost always that, that moment where we see the deadline and we see where we're at. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I don't know if we're going to get this done in time.
2: That's what I was going to say. The fearfully wonderfully made exhibit. I remember seeing the deadline for that and then thinking, yeah. there's still a lot to be done and you yeah. guys pulled it off. So that's awesome. Thank Praise the Lord.
0: God. We actually got that one done a little bit early. Same with borderland. That was actually uh, uh, finished a little. That's, that's because of Travis. Travis just really did a good job of planning that out. He is Super meticulous, super super talented, and that's another great example. I didn't get to really do very much on that on that project. I mean, really, I did next to nothing except I did get to paint the skin on a lot of the little Barbie sized um, figures. But um, he he did such a good job of balancing the style that the figures are at with the style of the paintings. Like they look like they belong together, and so much so that you take it for granted. You don't think about it. But for those of us who do this, like that is so incredible how well-balanced that is that you take it for granted. You don't even think about it. But if we had had even a slightly different style or color palette for those figures than are on the wall, it would not have worked. And he also did a great job of of making sure that multiple artists worked on every piece of art so that you couldn't see one person's style emerge. And that's something that we always try to do is try to make... One a final exhibit should look like one person worked on it, mm-hmm. even though it was an army of people.
2: And just to echo what JJ said, make sure you guys subscribe to answers.tv you can check out the behind the experience. And uh the one I just recently watched was on the tourist Scroll uh exhibit, and it's just amazing how much uh work and design goes no, into this. Amber
0: these. Amber designed that amazing. and then fabrication just the knocked of it out. Hours of the park. And,
2: Um, As as far as like for our audience, uh, if there's any young adults that are maybe watching right now Mm -hmm. that maybe um, have this type of talent skills Mm -hmm. and they want to get involved, Mm -hmm. what are some practical tips you would give?
0: Okay, so I have seen thousands of portfolios in my career. And I would remind everybody who is an artist who wants to show me a portfolio that your portfolio is only as good as the worst piece in it. Uh, So you need to get a friend... Uh, or maybe even a stranger, but not your parents, to go through your portfolio and edit out your weakest part, points. Forget about any emotion that or any story that you have about how you got there. It's only about the final piece. Um, take a look at that. Um, take a look at all of your pieces of art in a mirror um, so that you can see them from a fresh perspective as, as if you're seeing them from someone else's eyes. Look at them upside down. Take photos of them. Um, Look at the photos. A lot of times that simplifies things and and gives you a perspective that would be like the viewer. Uh, And and then just have somebody who's just going to be brutally honest with you tell you whether or not these pieces are strong. Because here's the thing, a portfolio with only five really good pieces in it is way stronger than a portfolio that has those same five pieces and then 10 more that aren't as good. So um, what I always say is if you... Create something new. Look at that new piece of art. Compare it to everything in your portfolio and say, is this actually better than any of the other pieces in my portfolio? And if there's one piece that it's better than, take that out, other piece out and put the new one in. Otherwise, you might. I mean, this happens to me. I just did some stuff on the side that I'm not going to put in my portfolio. Um, so you might look at a new piece and go, it's not as good. I'm going to not put in the new thing. Just chalk it up as to experience and move forward. Um, also, um, having taught artists for a long time, um, you don't need to be a weirdo to be an artist. Uh, and, uh, I do encourage you to have it maybe as a, a hobby up until you're a professional and even afterwards, if you can, for me, I've been doing it for a long time. It's not my hobby. I don't go home and do this stuff. Um, I, I am a professional, but, um, a lot of what I do is just incredibly expensive. So you kind of have to build, and I would say starting with drawing skills, maybe some simple clay sculptures. Those are great, especially if you are an illustrator who does not draw very well from your head. Doing a little sculpture and then looking at that in 3D space or taking a photo of it. If you, take, if you do a little rough sculpture and take a photo of it, you can get real world lighting um, and you can see how uh, a three-dimensional thing that you've made translates to two-dimensional space um but anyway these these are I'm compressing classes into moments but those are some of the things that I think of whenever somebody asks me uh, for some uh, advice for their their artwork but I don't I don't hire somebody um necessarily because of their experience I always hire or whether they've got a degree it's going to be the strength of their portfolio it may not even be that they know how to work with the silicones and resins and different things that w- we use. I'm looking for a really good artist because I can teach somebody how to make a mold. But teaching them how to see, teaching them how to um, sculpt, those things are um, way more difficult to do.
2: And what are some good resources you could point people to? You have any um, There's just
0: so much good stuff on YouTube. Uh, in fact, the Art Institute where I used to teach um, in Pittsburgh, um, they had to close their doors because they can't compete with YouTube and other online schools. Mm. Um, there are some special effects schools. It's really, diff- like, I always say special effects because the sculpting, molding, casting is so closely related to everything that we do for exhibitry. The one that jumps to mind is the Stan Winston School. It's only about three or $400 a year. It's not really a school in that you take classes and get graded, but it's just an incredible amount of resources. Um, it, I would say parents check out that site before you just sign up for your kid though because unfortunately it is a special effects site where they would do like blood and stuff like that so please forgive me if, if I've recommended something and you're like oh my goodness I can't believe he's saying that. Uh, that's a very difficult thing to escape in my line of work. Um, but it, um, I would say Pensacola Christian College has an incredible program. We do have a lot of graduates from there. In fact, we have a couple of interns from there, or a few interns from there right now. Um, the quality of students I see come out of there is really impressive. Um, so I'm not discouraging people from going to school. There's so many advantages to it, but you certainly don't have to spend a lot of money and go to school. You, if you're disciplined, you can just teach yourself how to do it by watching videos and uh, practicing, and so I used to, even when I was teaching at the Art Institute, I would tell a lot of people who wanted to go there, I'd be like, "Yeah, if you can buy some clay and play around and maybe practice a bit before you go to school, you might even get good enough that you don't have to go to school.
1: There you go. Well, thanks so much. Some great tips for using art for the glory of God, for getting into that, if that's the passion God's given you for ministry. So thanks so much, Doug, for joining us. And we hope that was an encouragement to you. (laughs) Meanwhile, please keep standing on the truth of God's word with zero compromise. See you guys later.
2: God bless.